Yo. Welcome to the Autumn Miles Show. Autumn is a best-selling author, popular speaker, and wife who is obsessed with her husband and four crazy kids. She is also the CEO of the Autumn Miles Ministry, as well as a lipstick and lash enthusiast. Autumn's vision is to speak to the culture with bold truth and challenge you to act in raw faith. Here's Autumn Miles. Hey, hey, it's your girl, Autumn Miles. How are you guys doing out there today? I pray that you guys are safe. And we are praying for you. I want you guys to know that um, our entire team, we're actually having a prayer meeting today to pray over all of you guys. And um, I'm so thankful that the Lord is our stability. The Lord is the one that, that is watching over us during this time. He is our strong tower. He is our anchor. And I, um, I'm so grateful uh, that, uh, that we have the Lord to run to during you know, times like this. We have a really special guest today, but I do want to give you just a disclaimer. This is not for little ears. Um, we're going to talk about human trafficking and um, very important show, but I just want to give you guys a second to get your kids out of the room. We are going to cut from your normal, um, maybe doom and gloom media <laughs> to bring you a story of hope today. And I, uh, we, we actually canceled our guest from last week just because it was so overwhelming. But we, I, I wanted to keep my guest with us today because she has such an incredible story. And she is just, uh, God has really brought her through. So I want to kind of cut, like I said, from, from, from the media that we're, we're used to listening to these last few weeks. And I'm going to bring you a story of hope. Let me go ahead and introduce to you. Um, her name is Rebecca Bender. She has written a memoir. It's a new memoir. It came out in January. It is called In Pursuit of Love. And the tag is One Woman's Journey from Traffic to triumphant. So she was a sex trafficking victim. And I know we hear so much about um, sex trafficking victims and just the work. I know uh, specifically Christine Kane has really, uh, has really done a ton of work with um, sex trafficking victims and bringing them to freedom. Uh, but Rebecca Bender, as a matter of fact, Christine Kane um, uh, uh, endorsed the book, uh, endorsed her book. But this, Rebecca was an actual victim of this and I think it's so interesting that we can we can hear about this all day long sex trafficking sex trafficking um but actually learning from someone that has been in it um and how it can make us aware of it and things that we can do in order to support uh victims that come through uh this this horrific thing um, is important. So I want to welcome to my show today, Rebecca Bender. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to have you. We chatted like for 30 seconds before we went on and um, my team has been working with you and your your people um, for a while to get you on because I think that this is, we've. Um, I just think people, when they hear sex trafficking, they don't understand what exactly that means. Mm -hmm. And I'm so thankful um, that you're, you're speaking out about your experiences. So tell me about how did you even get involved in this horrific thing? Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. When people think of human trafficking, they imagine 
stranger danger, right? They picture the white minivan. You, you know, I'm an eighties kid. I was told to watch for like the guy that offers you puppy and a candy and, um, and, and that's great. And we should teach our kids safety, of course. But I think the misconception is that people assume that it's going to be kidnapping. And in a first world country, like where we all probably live today, if you're listening, um, that's not how it works in our community and in our culture because that doesn't sell. Unfortunately, we live in a culture where sex sells and kidnapped, mm. duct taped, you know, children or even young women, um, they have to be to the trafficker, a product that's sellable. And so they use all sorts of other tactics, luring them off the internet, pretending to be a boyfriend, um, coercive tactics, taking pictures or videos and then threatening to put it on social where their family could see if they don't do they don't comply. So all sorts of very subtle, coercive ways that I, I describe it like you're heating up the water all around them and until it, you're not realizing that you're starting to boil. And that's what traffickers do. Um, you know, in my wow. specific story, that's exactly what happened to me. I was a girl from a small town in Southern Oregon, kind of grew up on a very small Southern Oregon farm town. Uh, all the, the town circled around the lumber mills. My dad worked at the local lumber mill. Uh, my mom was a stay-at-home mom. She taught aerobics on the side. And we actually just posted <laughs> some pictures of her in her bodysuit in the 80s on our Instagram page. Oh, yes. I love it. And so I grew up just kind of skipping rocks at the river, eating tomatoes out of, a, out of the farm garden in the summers, and just an average all-American kind of blue-collar family. My parents divorced when I was nine. It was a very ugly divorce. And there were moments between about nine and 12 that I think took root in my heart, even from a quote unquote good home, where I felt um, unloved, unwanted, and unimportant through this really tumultuous divorce. Mm. But by the time I was in high school, um, things had turned around. My mom had gotten a great job. She was no longer kind of a you know, single mom trying to put ends meet. She was now had this great job. She'd got remarried. And I entered high school, you know, real gregarious, fun. I, kid. I was a cheerleader. I was a goalie on the varsity soccer team. I was on prom court. I was active and involved and no one would have put me in an at-risk youth category. Wow. This is crazy because I have two daughters myself and one of them is 14 and one of them is four. She's about to be five. So, um, and they, they are all of those things that you just said. Of course, my five-year-old is a wannabe cheerleader. She's not quite there yet, but, um, but she will be. Um, and I, I feel just the thought right now that my daughters in Dallas, Texas can um, be lured, uh, you know, is horrifying uh, to even think about. What is it that, how, how did you even get involved in this? Coming from, you know, I know, I know a bad divorce, but coming through that and sort of being successful in high school, how in the world did you go from that to uh, human trafficking? Yeah, I think one of the things that's important, which you brought up about kids is the average age of entry. There's all different stats, right? But most people say the average age of entry is around 13 to 14 years old. But the reality is, is if you're being lured by a trafficker, the most at-risk age is 18 to 24. Um, that's a really wow. at-risk age because your cognitive brain hasn't fully developed. I mean, imagine what the mistakes we all made at 19 or 20, right? Like, and, and so those are 
that's a huge yes. target market for um, what we would call Romeo traffickers. I think okay. when, when we see younger traffic victims, ages you know nine to eleven, that's typically, um, unfortunately, more familial trafficking, where you do have drug addicted parents that might be exchanging the abuse of their child to a drug dealer or a landlord, and oh. so they get this average of twelve to fourteen because you're kind of combining these two different types of exploitation. But the, the reality is we in our country, there's actually 25 different types of exploitation in America alone. And so if we're only looking for kidnapping, we're going to miss literally two dozen other ways that it may look. Um, I worked undercover. Wait, hold on. Hold, you, 20, <laughs> so there are 25 different ways or methods that traffickers gain their victims. 25. Different, 25 different ways that they're being sold. There's often only oh, okay. a few types of grooming and recruitment tactics, but you can be sold through illicit massage parlors, through cantinas, um, through street prostitution, online escorting, um, to all sorts of different. You can go, you could type typology report and it'll come right up. Typology report, human trafficking. It's a, a really big research project that was done um, by the National Human Trafficking Hotline. Okay. How did you get involved? What was, what happened to you personally? It, I, I know your book talks about you um, getting to Las Vegas and you were involved in this for, I think, six years. Correct me if I'm wrong. Mm -hmm, almost six. What happened? How did yeah. you get there? Well, after I graduated high school, I graduated high school a year early and I was accepted into university. I had my dorm room assigned and I was really excited to get out of my small town. I mean, I think most people who grew up in small towns are like, we can't go to the big city. I, you know? <laughs> I was so ready to get out. I, I did. I yeah. love that. Go ahead. I mean, I think that's important to remember, though, like trafficked victims. We grew up in the same culture as all of you. Like we have the same desires to get out of our small towns. We have the same misconceptions of it being kidnapping. We have the same bad mistakes we make at 19. And so when my situations aren't matching what I'm seeing on a movie taken, then I'm thinking, well, I must not be being trafficked. My boyfriend loves me and I can trust him and I should get on the plane and I should go out into the room. And he wouldn't lie. He loves me and I'm not being kidnapped. So what's the problem? You know what I mean? Wow. Um, yeah. So in my situation, that's what happened. I actually um, I ended up having a baby and I had to unenroll from my um, dorm room and I decided to keep my daughter when I found out I was pregnant that summer. And it was, that's a hard decision at 17 when you're like, all my friends are going off to college and I'm going to stay, be stuck in my little farm town. And I was not raised in a faith-based home, but for whatever reason, I just felt like I just instantly wanted, knew that I wanted to keep my baby. And I'm so glad I did. My daughter's 20 today. She's an amazing young woman. Wow. Awesome. Doing great things. God has a, you know, just doing great things with her. I'm so blessed. But that became a vulnerability for me. I ended up having the baby. My friends moved out of the dorm rooms. They moved into an apartment. They had an extra room. And I thought, okay, this is it. I'll still get out of here and move up to my college town. Uh, I'll go to the community college. And, and this is still my opportunity to kind of, you know, carpe diem, so to speak. And yeah, it was when I got to the college town is when those same vulnerabilities of feeling really alone and unimportant started to resurface. Um, Cause now I'm the girl on campus with the kid, you know, and this just wasn't super common 20 years ago to see a girl on campus with a baby. And so um, 
I felt suddenly not a part, you know, and you're thinking here was my big mm. way to get out and like see life. And I was always um, ambitious and gregarious and involved in lots of things. So I still wanted to be, but it definitely was not kind of received. And people were like, oh, you have a baby or, you know, until. And so I started having those kind of lonely feelings which I had never really had other than during the divorce. So it wasn't real common feeling for me. Mm. Um, and that's when I met the most amazing guy. And mm. he was funny and he was smart and he was cute. And he, you know, dazzled me and wined and dined me. But more than anything, he made it really about me and the baby. Everything was about like, well, let's go to the park. Well, let's go to Chuck E. Cheese. And I thought, finally. Wow. Finally, this someone doesn't care. And maybe this is the one that I'm going to marry and, you know, have a white picket fence and a dog named Spot and everything was going to work out OK, um, even though, you know, I felt like my life had taken this little bit of a twist with becoming kind of a young teen mom or, you know, a teen mom. Um, I thought this was my opportunity to kind of turn my life back around. So how did you meet him? Was he just, was he just on campus or like, how, how exactly did you, did he approach you? I'm real interested on how, how all this kind of came to be. Yeah, I think, so in my situation, we met at a restaurant that was on the college campus. It butts right up to the college campus. And he was actually with a guy that I knew. And so I'm not blaming this guy. I know he's, he's been a little bit, um, like, I didn't know. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm not. I'm not saying that you knew, but I'm saying yeah. for me, my guard went down because I walked over to the guy that I knew to say hello. Um, and it was familiar. It was a familiar person. Yeah. And he was a guy from my small farm town. So it wasn't like, oh, this is a guy from oh. town. It was like, oh, my gosh, what are you doing up here? And so that immediately drew me right over to them, let my guard down. And that's how we just kind of he introduced himself but what traffickers do is they're constantly um, on the lookout for new recruits. And that's because traffickers use this cycle of abuse where they, they call it a dating phase and then a grooming phase and then um, a breaking and a turning out. And that's kind of the four cycles that traffickers use. And so you never know if you do have a girl that's maybe in the turnout phase, so to speak. Um, that she could run at any point, she could get arrested by the police for prostitution. And so you need to have another girl kind of on standby or up to bat that you've been working on grooming because that grooming process takes a while and they never oh know my it. Gosh. it takes six months to groom somebody. So they have to have someone, you know, over here on the right side making money while they're grooming on the left in case this other girl runs. She runs home to her family. She feels like she's got a break. She's going to run for her life. They've already got someone in the process that could be, you know, moved to bat, so to speak. So traffickers are always kind of throwing out their phone numbers, casting this wide net, seeing who responds. And then if they, you know, if they collect 10 phone numbers at a shopping mall and two of the girls start responding, then they begin engaging in a dating phase and they see who starts to really like them. And that's when they drop the other one and they'll hone in on the girl that is really engaging with him. And that's what happened to you. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, that's how that's not only what happened with me, but now we've worked with almost over 700 victims. And this is unfortunately the same story with almost everybody that we that we serve, which at wow. first when I started serving other victims, it was um, 
a little bit hard to kind of also heal through the process of like, mm. wow, my story wasn't different. Like I wasn't special. This is actually a tactic that everybody that I'm meeting has gone through. You feel stupid. You feel mm. um, embarrassed that someone could have tricked you. You're not taught as a young person to look for con artists and brainwashing and trickery, right? You're, look, you're taught to look for kidnapping. And so um, it's really hard when it's, you start realizing, like, I've been conned. Hey, guys, if you are just joining us, my guest today is Rebecca Bender. Um, she is, uh, was a victim of sex trafficking. So if you have little ears that are listening, you might want to um, listen to the podcast or um, just um, maybe give them their iPad so they can be distracted. <laughs> you are completely brainwashed and people don't. It's like people don't understand that that if you allow those things in your life, you your your brain is not is not there's a there's a lot of risk to that. Right. Well, there's um, actually a lot of research with trauma and the brain and neurology and actually the, the they call it even Swiss cheese brain parasymptomatic. I mean, there's actual lots of research. Yes. This isn't just like us telling you that we what we think. Like there's literal Stockholm syndrome, capture bonding, trauma bonding. These things actually exist. They're disorders and DSM-5s and handbooks that medical professionals, like these are real things. And you're right. Brainwashing is so real. We actually almost named the book Brainwashed. Like it was really, really. really and yeah, we really couldn't. Like, the title was hard to come up with because it's, it's like this gritty true crime story meets this like redemption of God story. And so it's like, those are two very different genres. So I'm trying to find a, <laughs> a title to marry them both is, was kind of hard for us. but. Um, so, yeah, so nearly six years. Yes, go ahead. Go ahead. Yes. Oh, no, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, uh, we, I'm, unfortunately, we're going to run out of time and we have five minutes and I still have about, <laughs> like 50 questions for you. So, so here you are. Um, how did you get exactly to um, Las Vegas? Because you're, you're at school or was your school in Las Vegas? Just so I can fill in the blank. There. No, I was in Eugene, Oregon, um, near the University okay. of Oregon campus. Um, we went to Las Vegas because he told me his job was relocating. So again, oh, okay. on, yeah. So he took us there because he told me his job was relocating him. So, so you get to Vegas and then how did you, when did you, when did you start actually engaging in the sex trafficking, the human trafficking reign? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's to, to the outside eye, you just look like you're in the normal sex industry. So you look like you're, in prostitution you look like you're an online escort you look like you're engaging with webcam you look like you're possibly a stripper like these are all lanes of the commercial sex industry that bad guys are trying to take advantage of i mean it's a 150 billion dollar industry uh, if we don't think bad guys are trying to get a slice of that pie we're being naive um but yeah. the day that i arrived i mean the, literally the day that i arrived he um took my daughter and left it with his family. His brother had helped us move. And I had met lots. It's kind of a natural progression of a relationship as you meet the family. And so we left my baby with his brother who had driven the U-Haul for us. And he said, get dressed up. I'm going to take you out on the town. And I'd borrowed my friend's fake ID. So this is pre-Jesus. And I'm 19 in Vegas, you know, <laughs> and uh, living my best life. And um, <laughs> he didn't take me to a nightclub. He took me to an escort service and um, slapped me across the face and told me I was going to go in the room and sign up and get his money back. And I can remember having all of these thoughts of, 
you know, being hit for the first time by somebody that you love and having all these questions, did you love me at all? Or did, you know, all the things. Um, but then I remember having this moment of like, I don't know where my baby is. I didn't memorize my address. I just arrived. Oh yesterday. my gosh. I didn't like write it down and send it home. Like I actually don't know how to get back to my baby. And so I'm just going to trust him that it's just going to be dancing around at a pool in a nice suite, that this is just how it works to book like girls at the pool in Vegas. I'm just going to trust him. He loves me. Um, and so I went in the room and signed up and in the room, there's even a form that you sign that says you're not going to solicit. And I'm like, okay, see, I can trust him. It's just like dancing. And they had a dry erase board on the wall, said blonde, brunette, redhead, Asian, exotic. Um, and then kind of fake names like Bambi, Ivy, Candy, you know, things. That, and I'm like, okay, it's like dancing. Um, and so every little step kept kind of justifying my conscience. <laughs> um, Got it. And so I kept not panicking. I just thought, I'm just going to get the money back tonight. And then things will go back to being happy tomorrow. And I'll get home to my baby and we'll be fine tomorrow. But tomorrow never came. And for six years, I got traded and sold between three different trafficking families, um, branded twice, two men tattooed their names on my back. I was hospitalized for dehydration and overexhaustion. I've had my face broken in five places, had to have surgery. Um, mm. I tried to commit suicide twice. I just was really, really hopeless. And by the grace of God, he stepped in plucked me out of the clutches of Satan, put my feet on a solid rock and steadied me as I walked along. And I got radically saved and delivered from drug addiction in the middle of being trafficked. And when I finally ran, I, you know, kind of, you leave it all to pursue God and say, all right, God, if you're real, if you're the one that delivered me from my addiction, then I'm going to give you the same amount of time that I gave the enemy and you'll never be outdone. It was kind of what he reminded me. And so that was it. I packed up everything and ran. And I mean, transit, turning your life over when there's so much uncertainty, which I think speaks to kind of the climate today is really hard, but he is with mm -hmm. you. He has not left you or forsaken you. He knows exactly where you're at. He has not forgotten your address. He knows what's happening. And when you don't, I saw this quote recently that said, when you don't understand his hand, trust his heart. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, this is it. Like I have to keep constantly re-reminding myself of the truth and not the lies that the enemy, you know, that many years or so many lives I believed for so long and just kept reminding myself of truth, reminding myself of God's heart that his plan for me was to prosper me and not to harm me. I just kept repeating truth over and over. And, um, and it wasn't easy. It was not easy. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're a single mom in poverty again. I'm, you know, walking bus stop to and from work, minimum wage job, criminal record. Like it's not, it's not easy, but he is faithful. If you, if Amen. you just wait, wait the storm out, he is faithful. I want to read this before I let you go after escaping. And this is what I, I think your um, publisher sent us after escaping nearly six years of human trafficking, Rebecca Bender received the kind of restoration that only God provides. She is now an award winning social entrepreneur. She is the CEO and founder of Rebecca Bender Initiative, a nonprofit that works with law enforcement, FBI, Homeland Security, and aftercare programs and provides expert testimony training and consultation across, across the globe. 
She is also the creator of Elevate Academy, an online school for women who want to pursue the call of God on her life. She earned her master's in Christian thought from Bethel, and um, she teaches all across the country. You are married, and you have four daughters, and you have some pretty big endorsements. Ashton Kutcher, Christine Kane, Devon Franklin, who is one of my favorites. Um, Rosanna Arquette, John Douglas. I mean, this is like God has totally redeemed and restored and used your story for his glory. It's incredible. It's incredible to see Thank you. what he's done, what he's done. Unfortunately, we're out of time, but to all my listeners, I want you to pick up her book and I want you to educate yourself on this topic. The name of the book is called In Pursuit of Love. One Woman's Journey uh, from Traffic to Triumphant. Her name is Rebecca Bender. Um, guys, get it. Uh, you know, log on to her website, RebeccaBender.org. Follow her on social media. We need to support these women um, as best as we can. We need to put an actual circumstance with this term, human trafficking and sex trafficking. Um, uh, so anyway, thank you so much, Rebecca, for being with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I love sharing God's story, right, of redemption. And we all we all have a story to tell. So thank you so much. Yes, thank you so much. And thank you for listening. You can catch me right back here tomorrow on The Autumn Mile Show. The Autumn Mile Show is listener supported and your donation to keep her on the air is much appreciated. To make a donation, visit autumnmiles.com. And if you make a donation of $100 or more, you'll receive an autographed copy of her book of the month. This program is underwritten by Mary Maids of Fort Worth. Your future starts now. Thanks for listening and join us next time for the Autumn Miles Show on the Word 100.7 FM.